Hello, and welcome to Stream Theory. My name is Jackson from the YouTube channel Skip Intro, and on the line we have Thomas Flight from the YouTube channel Thomas Flight. Hello, hello. How's it going, Thomas? I'm uh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm you know I'm hanging in there. Thanks. Another getting gearing up for the old uh, second wave, the old surge as everyone yes. moves indoors. Uh, yes. It's gonna be super fun. Locking down uh, for winter, buying my buying my stores. Uh, you know my supplies. We're like squirrels. We're like yes. I was just about to say that. <laughs> My friend is a teacher at an elementary school in Massachusetts, and they got the uh, the email today that was like, well, get ready. We're going to go 100% remote any day now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, maybe by the time this comes out, that will have already happened. Or maybe disaster will have been averted. Who knows? Who knows? Nobody, nobody knows. That's and that's the that's the reality we're facing right now. So. <laughs> that's uh, what a what a great optimistic note to start on. Uh, <laughs> Um, so in this episode, we're going to cover a couple quick news, uh, quick headlines just at the top. Yes. And then I'm going to explain the Emmys to Thomas, who was unable to watch them because, uh, you know, they're on network television and who has the time these days. And then Thomas is going to explain the Netflix movie. I'm thinking of ending things to me because I did see it, but I have no idea what it was about. So we thought this would be a little fun back and forth. And uh, yeah, sounds good. I'm excited. Um, before we get into it, if you have any comments, uh, questions or feedback, you can send that to streamtheorypod at gmail.com. And if we get a bunch of questions or thoughts in there, we'll do sort of a mailbag episode. But uh, yeah, any any correspondence you have for Jackson or I, you can direct in that direction. Yes. Go. You could also just, you know, tweet at us. Yeah. All, yeah. Mean, just I don't know. Hit us on Twitter, <laughs> or, you know, jump into the comment section on one of our videos. That's a t that's the worst way to do it. <laughs> I, you know, I read the comments uh, for the first like couple days on my videos just to make sure I didn't say anything like egregious yeah. that somebody caught and then I never go back yeah. never once yeah uh, no it's <laughs> once you there's a there's there's a certain horizon point with like v number of views where like after you pass it I kind of find like especially if a if a video starts getting more views than you like have subscribers the comments just turn to just utter garbage yeah you can usually rely on your subscribers to have good yeah feedback. the first like day or so that's your sub that's like only your subscribers and they might have some good thoughts for you but uh but then beyond that it's just like your your best to just yeah yeah absolutely okay so first let's just get our quick news out of the way uh this yes. just in is our news section that we do every month and uh well not every month because we we missed last we month, did miss uh, last month oh, well, for apologies for scheduling problems you know i mean things aren't moving that quickly no uh so it, I, I don't think it's a big deal last but. month was pretty dead as far as news goes even this month is pretty dead in terms of streaming news so uh, yeah there's tv yeah. news the emmys but there's not a lot you know new going on streaming so yeah and and it seems like things are slowly you know uh gearing back up but uh that just means that there will be news in the future not right not really right now. yes yeah just to, to start things off we have cbs all access is going to be rebranding as paramount plus next year um i looked into this and it doesn't seem like this is going to come with like an injection of additional content to their catalog there was a cbs um what is it? C CBS. CBS Viacom. Viacom merger. But any additional content they would have gotten from that merger is already in the CBS All Access 
streaming platform. So I think this is just like a rebrand to sort of relaunch because honestly, nobody talks about CBS All Access. Yeah, because um, they suck. Yeah. So that's my uh, hot take. There's <laughs> there. I mean, they I've I had it for a little bit to watch like uh, the latest seasons of Survivor or whatever, and they have probably about as much content as like Peacock has. But like CBS All Access is nine ninety nine a month, I think, and Peacock is like half that or free if you have Comcast. So right, it's not a great value deal. And I mean, CBS is not a brand that I think the young people who are subscribing to streaming services like yeah, care about. I, I'm generally just like super down on CBS Viacom as a company. They've long made everything on Comedy Central super hard to watch. They cater to old people with shows that I, I have a lot of thoughts on. Um, and I don't <laughs> like them hiding behind Paramount. So yeah. thumbs down for me. But I mean, who really cares? I don't think it's going to change the needle one way or the other <laughs> of all these brands viacom is the most sinister dystopian name of any of them like <laughs> it's it's the one that literally sounds like a made up in there yeah a made up like evil corporation name yeah no they suck uh i <laughs> let's I, move on. I care about movies and uh, like the the title offerings that they were that they were promoting they were like the the cinema premiere will have title offerings such as sonic the hedgehog gemini man and paw patrol ready race rescue and i was like yeah this is a disaster so man uh, just really <laughs> leaning into paw patrol so that's, that, a, that's, that's a cream, weird move that's the cream of the crop right there you, you got your you got to get your paw patrol i hadn't even heard of paw patrol until people were like cancel paw patrol <laughs> <laughs> but you know i guess uh cbs all access customers have to show their grandkids something paw so, patrol is canceled but not on paramount plus so get your paramount plus in 2021 i mean if you've seen blue bloods or ncis or any of the other cbs shows you would know that they live in an alternate universe yes. where streaming isn't a thing speaking of failing streaming services uh <laughs> this is not really even a, a news story but i just as part of the ongoing <laughs> hilarious calamity that is Quibi, uh, we've now heard that they're already looking at selling apparently who would want to buy this dumpster fire i have no idea but apparently they're looking at selling so uh that's your that's your monthly quibi report <laughs> jimmy kimmel did uh take a huge shot at them at the emmys that was their only mention Perfect. uh he just said that it was a terrible use like it was one of the worst uses of a billion dollars uh i think yeah. it wasn't like a great joke it was just great that uh quibi got shot on <laughs> Um, that's that's what i'm here for <laughs> you know i get a lot of schadenfreude is that the word yeah uh, yeah i get a lot out of that from, yeah. from quibi so it's great it's like the streaming service version of the cats movie where it's like <laughs> who who thought this was a good idea maybe paramount plus can can buy them and add a little more value to their library I'm sure there's a lot of overlap there. <laughs> Speaking of overlap, the Nielsen ratings system has produced their own top 10 streaming programs of I'm not sure if it's of the year or of the month. It's of a, a week. Apparently, they're now tracking streaming video on demand is what they call it. But it's essentially Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu and Amazon Prime currently. Yeah. And we talked about the Nielsen ratings and how they work in a previous pod because yeah. Thomas was a Nielsen family household. You can go back and listen to that. But it, it's an interesting list. I'll just read it off real quick. Number one was Lucifer, Legend of Korra, The Umbrella Academy, The Office, 
Shameless, Grey's Anatomy, Project Power, Criminal Minds, NCIS, and Teenage Bounty Hunters. All Netflix, by the way, which is not because this is a Netflix-specific list, but just apparently because Netflix uh, rules the top 10 of the week, according to Nielsen anyway. So uh, Yes, which doesn't surprise me at all. No. Um, and also, we've talked about how Nielsen is kind of a small sample size. Yeah. Um, so it can get a little noisy. But you had a note in, in our document here that there's little to no overlap with Netflix's own top 10 list. Yeah, I thought this was interesting because, you know, obviously we Netflix doesn't really release metrics. So the closest thing we have to like an actual metric of like what the most watched stuff on Netflix is, is Netflix's own top 10 list, which for various reasons, like I'm a little skeptical is just like a pure un altered like here's the top stuff um, you don't think they're just they're just giving us the, the, <laughs> the giving it to us straight you know uh it's it's i guess it's within the realm of possibility uh but uh, <laughs> i wouldn't i suppose it's possible that they're it's untampered not shady yeah, yeah yeah i mean what i'm guessing they do i don't think they just totally like make up the top 10 but i think it's it's like top 10 what like most hours watched like most clicks most right and 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 in what time period like sometimes it says top 10 today on netflix and so it's like and and amongst two right right is it, yeah is it your country is it your state is it your city exactly your... so i think they could be doing any number of like fiddling with those dials to make more of the stuff that they want to show up show up it's possible yeah. they're just putting whatever they want up there but an interesting uh data point here that i find interesting is uh the fact that this this nielsen top 10 list and netflix's own purported like top 10 items there's like almost zero overlap even legend of Korra didn't didn't make legend it? of Korra. I, I well i should say up. legend of Korra and umbrella academy have been on that list recently hmm. um i've okay. seen them but they're not on there currently i saw lucifer on there like a couple weeks ago yeah so it might just be a, a, an issue of like oh people have moved on and maybe this is a little delayed or whatever but i definitely don't see like um gray's anatomy criminal minds ncis or i don't think i've seen teenage bounty hunters on there so i didn't even know ncis was on next to be honest. yeah which that's the stuff that i wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to suppress because almost certainly they would want more of their originals to be in that top 10 or stuff that only they are streaming like ncis right would assume is also available on cbs all access yeah yeah so anyway not not a whole lot of news there but i just found it uh in a nerdy way so all right so let's get to the emmys yeah i need you i need you to fill me in because i wanted to watch the emmys i wasn't able to be for reasons and uh but i was curious to see <laughs> what it would be like because this is kind of the first i guess the first big awards show we've had post corona times um yes so it's it's always fun to see how these uh shows try to uh, handle all that yeah so i guess the place to start is the production of the the production the production production the production of um, the emmy <laughs> yes uh so jimmy kimmel hosted and it starts off and it was very weird because they were showing an audience um i knew that there wasn't an audience because i i just knew that there wasn't gonna be one <laughs> so for the first like five minutes of his monologue they're showing old footage from the from like emmy's past of the audience oh, reactions oh weird um and some of the shots like had jim were like jimmy kimmel was in the audience um <laughs> which so it was like kind of obvious and then yeah. they kind of like broke it down and they did like a little bit of talking about the, the the virus there were some people who were there jason bateman was the only person in the audience for the monologue there were a bunch of cardboard cutouts and actually jason bateman which was great um that was a good little bit and then they would have a couple people come on 
to present awards here and there um, who were in like a green room. But there was never more than just Jimmy Kimmel and maybe one other person in this giant it looked like a holodeck, kind of, and there were a ton of screens up at the top. Everyone who was nominated was zooming in at the same time, which was kind of cool and went off with pretty much no problems, um, yeah, that's, which was surprising. That's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, it was. It was pretty impressive. Um, and after you kind of got over how different it was, it really was pretty smooth. And a lot of these shows have gotten, I don't know, I feel like, especially with the Oscars, um, there's tends to be like, okay, let's move this along. This yeah. is kind of dragging on as a, uh, like a presentation, but it was kind of just like category to category to category on the Emmys, which I appreciated ha- wanting to know who, who won stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first seven awards all went to Shit's Creek. They swept every single comedy category, which was, uh, I think a surprise to most people. And it's not like if you looked at any of the awards in vacuum that they were bad. Right. Yeah. Except like maybe one or two, but you could definitely like, it wasn't that surprising. But then when you saw that all of them, they won all of them, that was kind of like, yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Then the drama and the limited series stuff was a lot more uh, mixed, but pretty much it was all Shit's Creek and HBO. And that was the that was the story of the night. And I think where I want to start talking about this is Shit's Creek won a lot and Netflix didn't really have any wins. Uh, they were one of the most nominated networks. They won Julia Garner won for Ozark and they had one other win uh, for Unorthodox, a directing win for a limited yeah. series. But I almost feel like Schitt's Creek is so popular because of Netflix. And I wonder if this was kind of like a middle ground between Netflix, the streaming services and like a network television show, which yeah. Schitt's Creek like essentially is. And uh, theoretically, anyone who is watching on Netflix hasn't even seen the season that was just nominated. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think you're on to something interesting there in that, like, in a way, you could see that as a win for the platform Netflix, like not necessarily Netflix's production side because they didn't produce the show, obviously. But like if a lot of people are watching this show because of Netflix, in a sense, that's a win for their platform, or at least it shows, you know, part of the power of that platform. And we've talked about that in the past with like shows like Breaking Bad being essentially made what they are by Netflix. Right. But it's it's interesting to see that that might still be happening with, with some shows yeah and there was like a lot of jokes about uh just in the in the monologues and the script of the emmys themselves talking about the death of network television sterling k brown came on to announce some award and had a whole speech about it and some other people said stuff as well and they they had this one section that i want to draw attention to where they tried to get a bunch of celebrities to kind of like shout out their favorite TV shows that were nominated and why uh, like Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer from Broad City were talking about The Good Place. And then they had Morgan Freeman talk about the Kaminsky method, <laughs> which was really bizarre um, because first he said that he found it while he was channel surfing. Right. <laughs> and the Kaminsky method is on Netflix. And all he said was just who was in it like there was it was weird it was um to me it was silly but it kind of pointed to this major divide between and this turning point we are between the way we consume television that's different across generations where morgan freeman who is obviously involved in the industry is kind of like unaware of people that people don't really channel surf anymore yeah um And so what I did was I looked at the network wins this year and then I compared it with 10 years ago and maybe we can tweet this out or something. But uh, this year, HBO had 11 wins. Pop TV had seven. Netflix had two. FX had one. 
uh, but it was Hulu on FX. It was for Mrs. America. So that's a streaming service. VH1 had a had a win and Apple TV Plus had a win. And three of those networks didn't even exist 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, there were three from ABC, four from AMC, four from CBS, one from Comedy Central, eight from HBO, although a lot of them were for limited series, uh, one from Bravo, two from Showtime, one from TNT, one from NBC, and two from Fox. So there was like a lot more diversity um, and obviously more categories if you added all of those yeah. up. I'm not really sure what I'm pointing to, but it... Uh, yeah, this is fascinating. I feel like though. there's something there. No, it, I, I think there there definitely is. And I think, you know, I, th- I think it's only going to look more severe next year because the, the Emmys lag by a little, you know, we're looking over the last like year and in 2020 stuff that I guess wouldn't be covered this year or some of the the newer streaming services that launched. So like, I guess Disney Plus was in there already, but like Peacock, which is kind of technically like it's one of those hybrids. Yeah. A continuation of network TV, but like they their Peacock originals are very much like a streaming platform type production like it's it's in this new phase or it feels like streaming to me and right that's what we talked about with uh brave new world yes episode or two ago yeah and i think we'll start to see that kind of stuff in there so yeah this is this is really interesting uh it's just something to keep an eye on i think and you know a lot of these networks and this has been a running theme of the pod they have to adapt or they're they're gonna be left behind yeah um and you can already kind of see cbs all access going back to our um, our our original point you know four years ago they won four emmys this year they're not nominated at all and they're kind of scrambling to figure out what they should even call their streaming service yeah yeah so yeah something to keep an eye on um i thought it would be fun if we did like a little happiest about and most puzzled by not like uh i don't want to say like angriest about right because that every everyone here you know everyone here did great work i'll be the first to say with like the oscars and stuff sometimes there there will be genuinely like like how did this even get a win you know it kind of stuff uh as i've covered on my youtube channel at times but that's not really like (laughs) i haven't found that really to be the case most of the time with the emmys it might be like oh my favorite thing didn't win but it's not like this thing is garbage but it somehow landed a you know an emmy right and the emmys are always kind of weird because they're there's so much television yeah um and there isn't the same kind of like there's a lot of movies too but there's not the same kind of like oscar bait you could realistically theoretically like watch a lot of the oscar nominated films most people don't but you could but there's like no way you could watch all the shows that are you know going to be in the emmys so it's a little you know except for maybe this year when uh everybody has been home for right yeah (laughs) (laughs) if ever there was a year this would be the year um so i'll go first i was really happy for uh julia garner uh who won for ozark um she's still like an i think she's still probably like an up-and-coming actress but yeah i was first introduced to her on i think it was like season three of the americans uh she had a supporting role and she was awesome then and she's awesome in ozark and she uh it's great to see her succeeding like right off the bat and i was also super happy for uh jeremy strong who plays kendall roy on succession i did not think that there was any way he was going to win because the awards have just historically not really cared about him in uh the first season of succession but he finally got a a nod for a really great performance yeah ditto to both of those i um i was really happy to see the succession love in general i was a little this is bleeding into the next one a little bummed to see better call saul not get as much attention but i'm totally happy to see succession grab some love because it's genuinely a, a great 
well-made show. It was interesting too, I was kind of surprised to see Zendaya grab a win for Euphoria, which is a show that I like. And I guess a lot of other people did too. There wasn't yeah. that much buzz about it. Did you watch Succession back when it was on? I think that was before we were recording. Yeah, I watched uh, Euphoria, you mean. Um, or yeah, Euphoria. Yeah. yeah, I watched Euphoria and uh, I think we talked about it briefly on a previous pod. I, I thought that it really was starting to hit a stride by the end of the yeah. season. Yeah. And I think that she is phenomenal throughout. She's the She's best great. part of the show easily, I think. Yeah, easily. I think the whole thing kind of could have easily fallen apart before they were able to hit their stride without her. And obviously it's so focused on her. She's the narrator of those like opening bits of every episode, which really grab you each time. Yeah. Yeah. No, she totally deserved. I saw people saying that it was like an upset win. Um, I think probably because of the like other Titans in the right. category, yeah. like Meryl Streep and Laura Dern, who couldn't even be bothered to like show up uh, in Zoom for the nomination. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, she totally deserved it. Absolutely. I agree. I, I, I haven't looked if this is like statistically true, but it feels this way sometimes. At least I would say more about the Oscars than the Emmys traditionally. Like it feels like there's almost a little bit of like ageism in the um performance awards like they tend towards giving it towards older people with the oscars anyways sometimes it can feel like a bit of a it's your turn like you've put right. in the work yes someday that'll happen for amy adams i yeah. guess <laughs> so yeah I, I like seeing it go to like a, a younger person who just genuinely like beat out everybody else who you know they're up against even though those people have been in the industry for like you know however long um it's, it's just kind of fun to see so so most puzzling we talked earlier about how Shit's Creek just swept everything and in a vacuum like they were all fine but maybe in like the aggregate it's a little weird that they they kind of won some of like the writing or the directing ones right Um, right there were some other really great shows nominated I'm kind of a spread the love around kind of person I I don't put a ton of stock into the Emmys so I would just like to see shows uh, I would like to see more shows recognized than than just one usually Uh, even as great as Shit's Creek is and or even like if succession had swept i would have felt the same way you don't tend to remember the shows that are just nominated it just seems to be the ones that won if as much as anybody remembers the emmys anyways i mean who really cares about this stuff uh, and just the lack of anything for Better Call Saul was sad. Racy Horn should have been nominated. And she should have been nominated and she should have won, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know if she would have been supporting or lead, to be yeah, honest. Um, a, I don't know if she was better than Zendaya, but she was definitely like at that level. Yeah. So um, that would have been great to see. I actually was I, I found the last category was uh, best drama. It was Better Call Saul season five uh, versus Succession season two. I was actually thinking about this at the time and we can maybe talk about it a little bit if you're interested of which which of those do you think might be more deserving because they are both just phenomenal seasons of television there was no wrong answer there yeah Um, yeah that's that's a really i think i think that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier where it's like my personal favorite is better call Saul. that's the show that's been around longer like i feel like i have a little bit more of like a personal attachment to right and so like i just want to see it get love but I can't I can't really fault, you know, a succession. Yeah, I mean, succession that, season two is pretty awesome. That that <laughs> that season is just phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I think if I was just to put those seasons head to head in terms of sheer enjoyment, it'd be pretty neck and neck. And and so, yeah, yeah, I have a really hard time giving it. I think I think that's where that's almost where what we were talking about with older actors happening, where it's like I almost I want it to be better call Saul because I'm like, it's just the show that deserves it because it's like, you know, been around on. 
and they won't get many more, yes, more chances, yeah. right? Uh, it's only the one more season of Better Call Saul. And although, I mean, if Schitt's Creek is anything to go off of, they'll probably sweep all the awards uh, next year <laughs> in their farewell. Right, yeah. Which the Emmys seem to love. They love first seasons and last seasons, man. The the old Mr. Robot slash the Americans dichotomy. Yeah. <laughs> you you either get nominated for your first season or your last, last season. season. Do you, have I explained the Emmys? Uh, have I over-explained them enough? I, I, I feel like I sufficiently understand what, what down, what, what, what went, blow, I can't even speak. <laughs> what went down? I appreciate you filling me in because... Um, it saved me probably like for, three so hours or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's our clickbait. Um. <laughs> I watched the Emmy so you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So let's switch to trending now, which is our section every month where we talk about one piece of usually streaming TV or movie, you know, dive deep into it. And this month we are talking about, I'm thinking of Ending Things, the Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix. And it is an experimental movie, I think is safe to say. And uh, I also don't feel like there is anything else safe to say about it. So I'll throw it over to you. (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking of Ending Things is the new film from writer and director Charlie. Did you already say Charlie Kaufman? I don't know. It's on Netflix. Charlie Kaufman, he was a writer for a number of years. He's written and stuff that most people have probably seen like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and being john malkovich and some other stuff more recently he started directing he's directed synecdoche new york um and some other films that almost nobody has seen well all his stuff is just kind of a little out there and bizarre and you're you're always going to be in for a wild ride so i think this was a great film for kind of sort of the time we're in it's a great film i might be jumping the gun here but it's a great film for netflix because it's a film that sort of requires some degree of scrutiny like it really benefits from just like sitting down and watching a couple times to really kind of get the hang of what's going on so i think it's a it's a great netflix film in that way where it's like netflix might actually be a better platform for this movie than the theater would be which i wouldn't Mm. say about most films but uh but yeah, we can we can get into actually discussing what the heck this movie is even about or what's going on. Um, yeah, I think the way we should run this discussion is I will kind of throw some questions at you and I'll let you, you know, interpret them however you want to or, yes. you know, they'll be kind of like prompts, I guess. Sure. So I think the place to start is, uh, you know, what happens in this movie? What is the plot of this movie? So this movie is uh, it's based on a book called I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reed. And so Kaufman's adaptation departs quite a bit from the book. But based on what we know is going on in the book, which I haven't read, but I've done pretty extensive reading on like what sort of the backstory and the adaptation that actually gives us a pretty solid idea of at least what the the general idea of the film is. So what you see happen is there's a couple, a guy named Jake and a young woman whose name seems to change throughout the film. They're riding in a car together for a long time, driving out to visit his parents to meet the parents. Uh, They've been together for a little while and they're going to meet the parents for the first time. And during this whole car ride, she's kind of musing. She's musing about how she's thinking of ending things, which is sort of this double entendre for like suicide, but also also the relationship mm. and so they they drive there's this long drive long conversation literally probably like 20 minute scene um, of them just driving this car through the snow it is a very long scene I can it, not only is it that. literally long it feels long because it's just like dripping with this sort of like awkward tension and just she like keeps trying to have this like internal monologue that we can hear where she's like I'm yeah thinking of ending things and going into this thing 
Then she recites just like the bleakest, longest poem I have ever heard in my entire life. Yes. Um, <laughs> which apparently is real. I watched it with my friend and like halfway through it, we both started just laughing. The, the film or the, the poem? Of the poem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it just kept going. Yes. And uh, every line was so sad. Yeah. And we we were like, who wrote this? Did what? Did he write this? And eventually, you find out. Uh, I guess uh, it was a it was a friend that he he knew, like a poet friend from real life or something. Yeah, who wrote this. Ava HD is the poet, and it's it's from a I forget what the name of it's from a book of poems written by uh, that person. But the film is full of that kind of thing. So they go, they meet the parents. They go to this farmhouse and which and there's this sequence where they're at the parents house that is just exceedingly strange. And that's where the film kind of untethers from reality. And then they drive back from that. And this here I'm getting into spoiler territory. So if people want to, I'll I'll say this before you tune out, if you haven't seen it yet, this isn't really a movie. If you know what's happening in the plot, it doesn't really spoil the experience of watching it, I think, because it's yeah. just stuff is just happening. It's not really like there's a twist. But then they drive away uh, They and they go to this ice cream place and then they end up at a high school. And what you realize is kind of sprinkled throughout the film as this whole sequence is happening. There's also shots or flashbacks or flash forwards or you don't really know. There's these shots of this like older man who's a janitor in a high school. It's kind of interwoven with everything else. And when the characters get to the high school, there's a sequence that involves it, it, it's, it gets increasingly more abstract. But essentially what you find out eventually or what we know about the movie through the book and what people have said is that Jake and the janitor at the high school are the same person and that the movie overall, the general structure of it, at least as much as Charlie Kaufman has said, is that it's sort of like the janitor remembering slash fantasizing about his past. And so all the characters, including the young woman, are sort of products of his imagination and all of it is happening sort of leading up to his potential suicide, uh, which definitely happens in the book, but is left more ambiguous in the film. And so it's kind of this like dream escape fantasy type of a thing and then like jackson alluded to with the poem it's also littered throughout with just really blatant references to other pieces of media so there's a poem written by somebody else on the car ride back uh the young woman just starts reciting a a review of the film a woman under the influence and it's by the critic pauline kale i didn't catch this the first time i watched it but she just starts reciting the review she like lights up a cigarette and her accent changes yeah she starts sounding like pauline kale yeah and, uh, um, earlier in the movie i think when she She's in Jake's room. She like sees a book of Pauline Kale's like essays. Yeah. Uh, and there's like ton they they also like relitigate like maybe it's cold outside and how like that's problematic and yeah. uh a lot, a lot of stuff like that. And the, there's a lot of Oklahoma in it, uh, the the musical and the very end scene um, where he like accepts this award in the high school auditorium is essentially a direct <laughs> rip of the very ending of A Beautiful Mind, um, which is about a man suffering from uh, schizophrenia, I believe. So there's there's a whole lot going on. Just listening to you talk about it <laughs> when you're just like and then when he's accepting the <laughs> award, I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, that was in this movie. <laughs> so that's that that's that's all to answer your first question <laughs> okay so uh my next question is uh just it's really easy it's uh did you like this movie yes yes <laughs> yes i did are you sure um yeah i i, I think so yeah okay you just sounded unsure so i did i watched it, it twice uh 
like I watched it and then rewatched it the next day. So usually I don't yeah. do that with movies. I dislike. You know, I don't think that I will watch it. I will say that. Yeah, I didn't. I found it very, very uncomfortable. This is a. Well, I understand is part of the point. But yeah, and that's that's where the hesitation comes in and like saying, did I like this movie? Because this is definitely one of those movies where you don't watch it because it's fun to watch necessarily. Like, I mean, I kind of it's I, I, I shouldn't say that I, I had fun watching it. I will say I really like the first car ride and the sequence at the house. After that, it kind of loses me a little bit, like especially the last like 15 minutes, everything that happens at the school. I'm not like a huge fan of, but like I could watch the section at the house just like over and over. It's so just like weird and Tony Collette's in it and David Thewlis, they give these really just like creepy, weird, unsettling uh, performances. Jesse Buckley, who plays the young woman, gives this like phenomenal performance. And Jesse Plemons, who a lot of us know as Todd from Breaking Bad, is great in it, too. So it's there's like I, I love the whole section and just the way it's constructed and like but then it does start to lose me. And, and I will say, I totally understand you or literally anybody else hating or not liking <laughs> this movie because it's one of those movies that it's it's not it's not everybody's thing. Yeah, I definitely didn't hate it. But I also wonder if me saying that I didn't hate it has a lot to do with me trying to like signal that I get art. Yeah, I can't tell if my original instinct is to be like, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> there was a great letterbox review. I'll see if I can find who wrote it. Uh, Fran, Fran Hopfner, I think is the name of the person who who did this review but they said that it really reminded them you have you you've seen uncut gems right i think we, we i have not seen okay oh well then this reference won't make sense to you but uh <laughs> there's a scene in uncut gems where like howard ratner the, the main character of uncut gems who's just this like terrible person and creates all this problem all these problems for himself he just like breaks down and he's like i'm so sad and he's like crying to himself about how like bad he feels like wallowing in his self-pity and Fran in her review was drawing this comparison to this film like it feels like Charlie Kaufman is Howard Ratner in the back room mm. just kind of like wallowing in his own like intellectual despair which I'm not sure is exactly true but I can see that vibe like it's very caught up in its own like navel gazing yeah and it's like its own headspace and it's sort of this it kind of has like a white guy David Foster Wallace like <laughs> you know oh the world's just so terrible and everything sucks you know it's very existential nihilist yeah. a sort of like nihilistic existential just yeah uh so th there's room to criticize that viewpoint i guess um is what i'm saying but i i am going to actually try to engage with it because that is i think more interesting and more um i think that's better uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. So I have done like a little bit of reading about this movie and a little bit of like listening to critics talk about it. And I have uh, some questions and, you know, maybe we can cut this in earlier or something. But I, I understand that people are saying that Jake is the janitor and Jake is like the main character and stuff. But I don't feel that way. I feel like we are like literally in Jesse Buckley's mind, in the, the woman, the female character's mind. Yes. We're hearing her monologues and, you know, Jesse Plemons is not very unnerved when stuff starts to go weird in the house, but the female character is. So that gives us a lot more insight into her perspective. And I kind of am struggling to see how this is not her story. Yes. And I think that's a very valid and interesting point. And you're not the only person who's expressed that. And, and, and that's something I was kind of going to touch on a little bit after, quote unquote, explaining what happens in this movie is that like. Like, there is sort of this accepted narrative of what happens, but a lot of that is based on the perspective of the book and sort of like
like right. what is happening in the book and this is its own piece of work and Kaufman has kind of confirmed like that his intention was to maintain the perspective of the book but he's also stated that he really meant for her to like stand apart as a character and and regardless of what he intended I would agree that especially on first watch it doesn't really you're so strongly in her perspective that it really doesn't feel like she's supposed to be like an extension of Jake yeah and I think for me that was a big part of the confusion of the not just what was going on but just the general tone of the movie right. I was like now all of a sudden we're switching to this guy who kind of felt like he was a side like a character. like a horror villain right in the it, like the villain of the movie and maybe I mean maybe he is I don't I can't pretend to to really grasp all of the, the stuff that's being touched upon. Um, yeah. You know what? I can't even speculate. I, I mean, I, I think the strongest counter argument or, or the, the strongest arguments for the fact that she is sort of this this like product of his fantasy or imagination or whatever is that like a lot of what she says is linked back to so like the poem she recites is then found in a book in his bedroom and mm. she talks about like paintings she made which then you find out are actually somebody else's paintings and they're in the basement and it turns out that Jake himself did these paintings or like the Pauline Kale review that she recites was in a book that was in his basement so there's kind of these clues that seem to point to this like everything she says is just a fragment of stuff that he did or collected or heard somewhere else but that could also be less about who she is as a person in the story and more about like Kaufman just commenting on how the things we write and say and do are remixes and repurposing of stuff that we've heard in other places right and that part I get I guess I wonder like with this movie in general I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I understand what they're going for, I guess, maybe. It feels like a lot of the analysis, the understanding of this movie is more about like trying to figure out like how the story is being told, whether it's like whose perspective is it or, you know, what does the dancing mean or what does this mean or all that stuff, as opposed to like what he's actually trying to say with that message, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. seems to be more like a decoding than a, like a dialogue. And that's something that's something that I actually I think what you just said speaks to part of like what I love about this movie and part of what bothers me about the discourse about movies like this in general in that. So on one hand, that's like the fun of a movie like this, I think is sort mm. of this process of like figuring out what it even is like what is it like even saying like okay here's the plot or like this is what happens in the book or even if you can get to the point where it's like oh yeah yeah it's totally supposed to be this whole fantasy thing like whatever that doesn't tell you what it means that that just tells yeah, you like exactly what's happening in it so there's this additional layer of like well what is it even supposed to mean and um there's a tendency to treat movies like this like a puzzle that you can like put together and finish and you've like figured out what the twists were and like what exactly was meant by it and then you're done and that was like the or just like what it is or yeah. like oh okay i figured it out cool and there are some movies that are made that way uh, that i think kind of popularized this like approach or this way of like engaging with movies like a decade ago or so with movies like primer or a lot of christopher nolan's movies um mm. that are genuinely like kind of built like these little like puzzle box toys that you fit together and then you sort of figure it out and you're like oh cool i i know what the movie is now and and like they're legitimately structured to be that and that's kind of spawned this whole culture of like you'll see it all the time with like ending explained videos where it's like every movie has yeah. like an ending explained video 
video and the way they treat it is like, hey, we can look at all the clues and then here's the explaining, which is kind of like, here's what it is you just watched. Right. Which is kind of unfortunately like part of what I've been doing to you, which is part of the problem. <laughs> but then like what I would say, like what I like about a film like this actually beyond that is just the idea of being able to engage with a, a film, um, a show. And, th and this is part of what I like about films because not many shows can actually do this because it's hard to sustain this kind of this approach to storytelling for a long period mm -hmm. of time. Some people have done it like David Lynch with Twin Peaks, The Return. Sure. But like, and this is going to sound pretentious and film nerdy, but like, <laughs> I think like really engaging with a film like this comes down to sort of letting go of that idea of like, oh, it is a puzzle that I can actually put together and figure out. And that's the intended experience. It's much less that. And it's more like, here's a bunch of puzzle pieces. Some of them might fit together, but like ultimately you're not going to actually get them into a finished puzzle. And all you can do is really like enjoy the beauty of like each individual piece. That's my take on this movie. You know, I think you can try to piece it together, but like, I think if you really want to enjoy it for what it is, you ultimately just have to like let go of the idea of like, oh, it's going to fit together into something and just like enjoy the puzzle, you know, yeah. un uncompleted. You can cut that out because it's probably the most pretentious thing I've said on this podcast. <laughs> well, I think, I think what you said actually points to... It will I mean, it might cut this whole thing out, but um, it definitely made me think about why I like TV so much um, over film, partially because it kind of like is more structured. It's more it's easier to follow. So you get to kind of I, like I with with movies like this, I get to I have such a hard time getting to the point where I can actually grapple with the ideas being touched upon because I spend so much of it being like, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to say to me. Like, right. like I'm yes. watching The Shield and I'm on the last season of The Shield and The Shield is not a hard show to follow. Um, Like there's not like they're not like withholding information from you but it still makes you like wrestle with these unanswerable like moral quandaries and kind of try and figure out where you fall on that spectrum and and what kind of basically deals you're willing to make and that's like the the core of like an anti-hero show and when i watch i'm thinking of ending things i'm just like i can't even get to the point where i'm grappling with that i'm just like what, what yeah why yeah. is this dog still shaking like <laughs> you know anyways yeah. uh so this is gonna be a longer pod oh we, we do have another yeah, segment. <laughs> <laughs> sorry so uh all right i'll shut up about no 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 i think it was good. <laughs> we'll, i'll definitely cut it down but i think this will just be a longer a longer pod in general because i went on and on about the emmys too so well we can we can get through our uh our, our recommendations yeah i think so too uh so every this is the queue every month we each give a recommendation of a tv show that we uh, or movie that we are watching and 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 talk about why a little bit try to convince the other person to watch it uh thomas why don't you go first? i think i went first last oh, okay time. oh, oh, oh. oh uh, uh. you go first <laughs> Okay. I I've only watched a few episodes of this, but I'm I haven't been watching a whole lot of TV recently. So, I'm going to recommend Joe Para Talks to You, which is a weird little uh show. It's on Amazon Prime, I believe. Uh, I'm seeing it. Yes. Joe Para Talks with You on Talks with You. Yes. It's an on Adult Swim it looks like originally. Maybe it's like also on Amazon. It's an Adult Swim show. I believe it's available at least season 1. Season 1 is available on Amazon Prime. Season 2 is not. Okay, cool. Um so you can at least watch season 1. They're short little episodes. They're like 11 minutes long and 
Joe Para is just kind of playing this character of this like old guy. Um, it's really hard to describe. He tells you about like rocks and breakfast food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like like episode three is Joe Para takes you on a fall drive. Uh, he lives in like the upper peninsula of Michigan and he just has this very like quiet life. But then there's kind of there's kind of things going on around the fringes of his life. Okay. So it, it's it's this weird little show. It's great quarantine content. A, f- a friend actually recommended this to me recently. So I'm passing on the recommendation from Jonathan and he described it as subversively wholesome, which I think is a is a great way. It's wholesome in a sub like it's so wholesome oh, okay. that it's kind of subversive okay. in this day and age of, of television like it's just if you need a break from uh all the dark tv that you're watching uh put on an episode of joe para talks to you and it's just, just like bring bring your cortisol levels right down yeah nice okay so that's my pitch for for sure joe uh and it's basically a xanax yeah and if you're just like <laughs> fuck that i want more gritty dark tv that's ultra violent you should check out my suggestion which is uh the boys on amazon which is basically like deadpool the tv show in in terms of like style i think it's actually a lot smarter yes, um, better than deadpool, yeah, yeah. Uh, i have a lot of thoughts about deadpool but um deadpool. <laughs> that i don't think are still well they're probably still relevant but i don't think anybody cares anymore uh we, we yeah <laughs> anyways uh the boys is about uh like a fictional mcu kind of universe where all of the superheroes are real but they also star in movies and they're celebrities and the first season is very much about like celebrity economy and the second season has kind of sneakily become like a really interesting commentary on the police in a way that i didn't expect and in a way that was probably pretty prescient considering when they must have written and shot this season so that is my pitch there uh it is definitely dark although i tried to get my dad to watch watchmen and he was like that show's too dark have you seen the boys and i was like dad the, the boys <laughs> starts with like a murder and there's like sexual assault and stuff and he's like yeah but it's it's more fun i guess and i was like all right so i guess everyone has different ideas of what dark is is the yeah, is the, yeah. The, the end of that sentence um where can they find you thomas i am on youtube if if you didn't get enough of me talking about i'm thinking of ending things in the this episode i just put out a video about the intentionally bad editing of i'm thinking of ending things so you can check that on out on my youtube channel. yeah and you can find me over at skip intro i've been doing a series on copaganda uh and police portrayals in on tv I just did an episode on brooklyn 99 and michael sure universe of stuff uh <laughs> and uh next month i should have a video coming on the wire which if you have watched uh thomas's youtube channel you know is a uh a a subject of great interest for both of us. I know we've personally talked about The Wire a lot, but I don't know... I forget. Maybe we'll have to look back. Have we talked about the wire on this I, show? I don't know if we've ever like taken the time to talk about it, but we keep like mentioning it. Uh, yeah, I, I thought maybe maybe if we if we have like not much news, we should do like a sort of wire retrospective, kind of like we with did the Sopranos. Uh, yeah, the, the Sopranos at some point because I think I think it's definitely it's it's probably between the two of us. You know, if we had to collectively pick a favorite show, I think that's probably what we would land yes. on because we we both love it and it's had a significant impact on both of us so i think it is um, the best tv show i've ever seen yeah and i I would i would agree with that so maybe we'll have to do a deep dive on the wire at some point but uh maybe we should just start a wire but this is a wire podcast (laughs) now (laughs) we we ran out of streaming news so we just talk about the wire now um but i'm looking forward to that video Yeah, yeah awesome uh and you can find me on twitter at skip intro yt i changed my handle because people 
were Whoa. giving me a hard time about it, I guess. They were confused. It was too... It was, it was too hard, though. yeah. It was uh, It was too... I'm thinking of ending things uh, abstract yeah. to them. So, uh, <laughs> until next month, uh, you know, send us an email or something. Yeah, tell us, tell us what you're watching. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talk to you later. Thank you.